Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. And, well, it's finally happened. It's going to be the rivalry game as Michigan comes into the Breslin Center on January 7th. For the first game of the the two game series for the season, and uh, Michigan is been kind of a weird team, and their season's been very strange. They're nine and five, but three and zero in the league play. They've had a very ho hum and maybe even lackluster non conference schedule or outcomes, where they've played teams well, but not won many of those ga- the big games. But they are three and zero in the league. Uh, they beat Maryland, just destroyed Maryland a few days ago. Uh, where it was, I think Maryland was one for 23 <laughs> to start the game in free throw or field goal percentage. Uh, but they just managed to hold off Penn State and recorded this just after that game. Uh, they are 28th on offense, uh, only 76 on defense. And their biggest strength, of course, is avoiding turnovers. As usually, they're number two in the nation. They've been a decent shooting team or kind of average, hitting about 35% from three, which is good for 95th and 141st in twos. But they're not a good offensive rebounding team with a, a, coming in at 307. Uh, I guess, you know, on defense, they've been not so great. They're, they're sitting at 124th in twos and number 100 in against threes. And uh, defensive rebounding, they're 117th and don't really generate any turnovers. They've had a tumultuous offseason, as we discussed in the preview, which I'll link to in the show notes as well. Uh you know, Michigan lost Frankie Collins as soon as they signed Llewellyn to come in from, I was it Columbia, I believe. And uh, Princeton. Princeton, yeah, sorry, Princeton. And right then, league. Yeah, and, and then Llewellyn has got an ACL injury, so he's out for the season. And so no Collins and no, uh, and no Llewellyn. And so they've been left with their freshman point guard, Doug McDaniel, who we'll talk about. But it's it's been a year where, uh, I you know, I think – People expected more from Michigan, and they've, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know how, what to make of this team because they, at times, look really good, and at times, just a week ago, they lost to Central Michigan at home, just sort of inexplicably. So I don't know what to make of them. I'm not sure how good they ever look. <laughs> Honestly, okay. I mean, no, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not being cavalier with that. I'll, I'll give them, you know, the one game, I thought, okay, you gotta, you gotta give them something. Was the home game against Virginia, mm-hmm. where they came close but lost? But uh, you know, Virginia had a nice start to the season, and they've lost a couple since then. They've kind of come back to earth. I don't think it's a vintage Virginia team. It's not of the caliber. Not only you know, forget their national championship team. I don't think it's of the caliber of 
those teams, for example, that Michigan State took out in successive years in the NCAA tournament. I don't think this year's team's at that level. So th- that was a good result, but a loss. Um, they played Kentucky in London and lost. You know, Kentucky, and, and this Danes Michigan State a little bit too, mm-hmm. Kentucky has not been very good this year. Not nearly, not even close to what I thought they would be. Yeah. And then they got beat by North Carolina and North Carolina has not been anywhere <laughs> remotely close to, you know, they were preseason number one. They, they fallen out of the top 25. Yeah. So I don't know that the high points are really all that high. Um, that, that said, Michigan is a team with some capabilities on the offensive end. I think on the right night, they can have a meaning that they're hot. Um, and Dickinson is rolling, uh, they can be very good offensively. They can put up points and do so efficiently. Um, but they're a terrible team defensively, and they don't rebound at either end well at all. And I just think there was a, there was a good line. I was watching um, a podcast that uh, the Spartan Mag site did after last night's MSU game, and Paul Conondike had, a good word to describe Michigan's entire program, which he used for the players and the head coach. It's immature. It's Mm -hmm. an immature team. And some of that is to be expected because the fact is they're young in some spots. You know, their point guard is a true freshman. Uh, Their second leading scorer, Jet Howard, the coach's son is a freshman. Kobe Bufkin on, on at the two guard is a sophomore. You know, and then you got two juniors. This is not a team like the one they had in the COVID year, where it was a lot of veterans, right. you know, and seniors, fifth year seniors, juniors, and they played like it. They played like an experienced team. This is not an experienced team. And, you know, Juwan Howard, I mean, come on. <laughs> Mature is not the first or 500th word that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, look, that's just the bottom line. I'm not even attempting to to uh, slam the guy. It's just how it is. So when you have an immature team, you're going to have some of this inconsistency in terms of the level that you play at. And I think that's what we've seen from them. Now, I will give them this. Their response to the, uh, the loss against Central Michigan this week so far, going back to last weekend, where they waxed a Maryland team that just played incomprehensibly awful basketball. That was um, Maryland was so bad. And and no, Michigan didn't have a ton to do with it. I watched that game. Um, <laughs> God help me. I felt my eyes burning out of their sockets. But um I don't know how much credit to give Michigan in that one, other than they actually showed up and Maryland did tonight against Penn state. I'll give Michigan some credit because I, I do think Penn state's a dangerous team. Um, the game was, it was a wild game. I mean, huge runs both ways, you know, one team would go on an 11 0 run and then the other team would come back 14 0. And then the next one would come back 12 0. I mean, it was that kind of game all night long, but, Unfortunately for Penn State, the the way the pendulum was swinging was between big Michigan leads and a tight game. It was never Penn State yeah. with a lead. 
or working margin. I think they had their last lead at maybe five, six minutes into the game. So they were constantly fighting uphill. Uh, but Michigan played very well offensively. They shot the ball well. Uh, they did what they've been doing all year long. And you mentioned the one absolutely positive thing you could say about this team is they don't turn the ball over. And that's a positive development for them because that's something that was obviously a program staple under John Beeline. It has not been a program staple under Jawan Howard. And, and the fact that it's coming with such a young perimeter group, I mean, two freshmen and a sophomore at the three perimeter spots it makes it really impressive. Um, so they're doing something right in that respect. And they did that tonight. They really minimized their mistakes and that was it. And, and I thought that, you know, not, not to dwell too much on that game. Cause it's not really the subject of what we're talking about, but I thought that Penn state didn't do a great job of attacking Michigan the way they needed to be attacked. Um, and we're going to talk about this aspect of things a lot as we get into the preview in Michigan state, but Hunter Dickinson is so bad defensively and he just can't move. So if they're going to shack coverage and pick and roll and, and you get a switch, you've got to be able to attack him. And part of attacking him means either you blow by him or you punish him with open jumpers because you will get them. And I love Pickett, Penn State. He's a great player, and he actually had a very productive game tonight. But it should have been even more productive, in my opinion, because there were a lot of situations where he had Dickinson, could have taken the 15-foot jumper, and for whatever reason, he's just hesitant to pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, that hopefully is not going to be the case come Saturday afternoon because I believe Michigan State has multiple guys that are fully capable of punishing that oaf and <laughs> um, and making it count. And I do believe that's what you have to do. Yeah. Now, for our younger listeners, when you say shacking it, you're not. It's not sh. ACK, right? As H A S H As in Shaquille O'Neal. <clears throat> right. And so what exactly does that mean for a, from a defensive words, standpoint? Drop drop coverage. So you okay. have you largely have you have you have three real options, I think. And this is basic. There's more than that, but but three basic options, let's say, with your big man and pick and roll. Um, because if you think about how pick and roll works, you've got a guy setting a screen with a ball handler out top and so hopefully if the screen is good the ball handlers the guy defending the ball handler is going to be screened off which is going to leave the screeners man usually a big man quite often the, the center the five having to guard the ball handler who's usually a guard um that can create a mismatch if you think back to how how great michigan state was in that phase of the game with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. They just tortured teams with it. Um, so you can play it three ways, basically. One way is to do what's called a hard hedge. So sometimes you will see that big man come out very aggressively against the guard, against the ball handler off the screen, and really try to ride him 
into a position where he has to give the ball up. Um, you can do that if you've got a really good defensive player as a big man who can move their feet. Xavier Tillman, for example. Um, Hunter Dickinson is not within solar systems of being that kind of <laughs> defender. Yeah. A second way you can do it is what's called feathering, which is really not quite the aggressive hard hedge, but you're trying to just deny that that guard the ability to penetrate. You're kind of trying to feather it out toward the sideline. And again, hopefully the, the goal is you're forcing him to give the ball up. He's not getting a shot opportunity out of it. The third way, which is what Michigan usually does, is called drop coverage or shacking, as in Shaquille O'Neal. The, the Shaquille O'Neal that, that played for the Lakers, so not the early Shaquille O'Neal where he was ultra-athletic, but the later one, he could move. So the Lakers would just drop him in pick-and-roll coverage and essentially dare a guard to shoot. You know, mm-hmm. And if you're playing against a team with a, with a guard who isn't comfortable taking the shots that are there, which are often – you know, 15 to 18 foot mid range shots, uh, that can be a successful way to play it. Michigan really has no choice, but to do that. Um, Hunter Dickinson against Michigan state. We have seen it go both ways. If you go back to the COVID year and the game late in the season at Breslin rocket Watts had probably the biggest game of his MSU career by doing exactly what I was just describing nailing 15 to 18 foot jumpers just inside the arc because Dickinson couldn't cover it. And the shots were there for rock and he hit enough of them that it ended up being a serious contributor to Michigan state getting a win last year, the game at Breslin. My recollection is they tried to be a little more aggressive with Dickinson because I just remember a steady diet of AJ Hogarth blowing by him. Yeah, I agree for layups. Um, so that didn't work. The The return game in Ann Arbor, they shacked him. He was drop coverage. And I was at, I've talked about it here several times. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I choose to remember this horrible night, but <laughs> I was in the stands at Chrysler just screaming for Tyson Walker to pull the trigger on those shots and he would not do it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem on Saturday afternoon. Um, but so we've seen both ends of how it can go with Dickinson, but I, I think I'd be very surprised if they tried to play it any other way. If they come out and hard hedge, fantastic. I'd love <laughs> to see them do that. I don't think they'll be that stupid. So because if they do, they've got no chance. Dickinson can't can't hang with MSU's guards. They'll they'll kill him. Just go taking him to the rim. Yeah, Ray Me, they'll just dribble right around him and head towards. Yeah, they'll just the blow lane. by him and get to the rim yeah. and finish. Yeah, it'll be a steady diet of that. So I don't think Michigan's likely to do that. I think they're more likely to go with what they usually do, which is drop coverage. They, they also will mix in some occasional zone. I was watching it tonight against Penn State. It's one of these kind of morphing things, but it mostly looked like a 2 3 to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be surprised to see them bust that out for a few possessions. Uh, so Michigan state will have to attack that adequately, but uh, I don't think you really want to zone Michigan state very much. I wouldn't, if I was playing them, uh, <laughs> they pass the ball too well and they shoot it too well. 
Um, but most of the time, I think they'll be in man. Michigan State will try to get them in a lot of pick and roll action. And I think it's going to come down to MSU's guards being willing and able to take and make those mid-range shots because they are going to be there, bet the house on it. So why don't we go through the starters? I think that might be the best place to go. Talk. So we've, we've talked about a few of the players already, but maybe we'll go deeper into who Michigan has, and then we'll kind of talk about, we'll go through the keys of the game and then discuss the game more overall. Uh, first starter would be Doug McDaniel. He's the one we talked about before. He's a 5'11 freshman. He's the, been thrown into point guard duties. He, you know, he wasn't expected to do this uh, once the Collins Llewellyn left. He's he's the guy now. And I thought he's done pretty well, all things considered. He's averaging 6.6 points a game on 38, 33, and 78 shooting. He's a best assist guy, uh, you know, but he's a freshman, so he makes mistakes sometimes. And, you know, defensively, it, it's a struggle for him, obviously, because he's undersized at 5'11 uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah, and he hasn't, he hasn't uh, yet learned how to, how to make his speed an asset enough, and he gets lost a lot. So he's, he's not a good defensive player. I think offensively, you know, and I know I talked about this on the Spartan mag board when, um, when the Wellen went down that this might be a blessing in disguise for them because they were going nowhere fast mm-hmm. with Llewellyn. I do think they are better offensively with McDaniel out there. Uh, not, that he's ready for prime time in some ways, but they do look more coherent. And I don't think that's an accident. He's very fast and he's actually pretty good. The thing you've really got to worry about with him is he's got the mid range floater that he can go to with some regularity. And he, and he really does tend to hit those. Um, I saw him hit one tonight against Penn state and he can get into the lane with his speed. Um, his shot looks awful. He's hit it. I mean, just his form, but he's hit it at a respectable enough rate that you don't want to completely ignore him as a shooter. But honestly, if he wants to take threes, I think you let him he's, he's basically, Somewhere around, I would say, the best of Xavier Simpson <laughs> as a three-point shooter. If you remember, there was a point in time later in Simpson's career that he got to be almost on the border of being okay as a three-point shooter. <laughs> yeah. And that's about where McDaniel is now. He'll probably get better as he goes. But I actually do think he's got the makings of a good a good enough point guard down the line. Um but right now he's just, they're just trying to survive it and he's bet. Okay. You know, I think he's, let's put it this way. I don't think they could have reasonably expected him to do much better. Yeah. Right. Than he's done. The, the one thing about him, I'll give him this. He does not make a lot of mistakes, although he is more mistake prone than their other players. Uh, Cause again, this team really takes good care of the ball, but I do think at times, it's not so much that he might make a play that leads to a turnover. It's that he doesn't get them into an optimal shot opportunity, you know, and there is a difference there. Um, And so sometimes he'll, he'll get into that kind of, of mode. And that's where you notice that the, all right, this guy's a freshman. 
probably not ready for prime time, but they don't really have a choice, so they'll go with him. Next would be Kobe Bufkin, uh, 6'4 sophomore, and he's, I guess, serving as a backup point guard for when McDaniel's not running the show. Uh, he's been a very good offensive player this year, uh, and he was one who was recruited pretty decently by Michigan State, ended up taking Jaden Akins over him. So uh, he's averaging a little over 12 points a game on 47, 33, and 82 shooting. And uh, he's struggling on defense like the rest of the team, but doing pretty well for his second year, especially after his struggles last season. He's also actually been their best playmaker. He's a tight second behind McDaniel. Well, he and I shouldn't say that he and Jet Howard are actually two really good playmakers for them on the wings. They, they, they don't make a lot of mistakes and they actually can create for others. Buffkin had kind of a slow start this year. That 33% from three is a little bit misleading because mm-hmm. I would actually say when you're playing him right now, he's a better shooter than that number suggests. He's really taken off over the last, you know, maybe month or so. The first the first few weeks of the season, he was struggling a lot like he did during his freshman season, to be quite honest. But I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I really thought in high school, you know, there were three guys in state that were all really very similar level of players, in my opinion. It was him, Jaden Akins, there was Pierre Brooks. Not that they were all the same guy, but they were all essentially wings. And I didn't think that at that point there was a lot to separate them. I think that. I think in some ways he really is their Jaden Akins type. He's not the defensive player Jaden mm-hmm. Akins is, but um, he can do a lot of different things offensively. He's got good size, 6'4". He's a good athlete, not quite Jaden's level, but close enough. Uh, he kind of reminded me, and this isn't 100% on point comparison, but there were aspects of him in high school that reminded me a little bit of Gary Harris. He's not as strong as Gary was, and he's certainly not the defensive player Gary was. But I just mean the the ability to score in lots of different ways. He can take and make threes. Um, he can go off the dribble, finish at the rim. He can hit a he can hit the mid range shot. He's a good enough ball handler, and he's athletic enough that he can create space for his own shot. And he's really been doing those things with much more regularity. So his emergence has been really important for Michigan because before that happened. They were really a two-man show offensively. He's the third guy, and that is important to have, where they could pretty much every night count on him being in double digits. Next would be Jet Howard, a 6'8 freshman. He's obviously the son of Coach Jawan Howard, uh, averaging 14.6 points a game on 45, 37, and 74 shooting. He's been very good, 36 assists to just 13 turnovers. Uh, surprisingly not really rebounding much, but, uh, and defensively not good, but he's been doing well offensively and he can hit down the, hit the long shot pretty well. He's, he's a tough cover. Now his, his three point percentages come down in recent weeks a little bit, but it's still healthy. And, and look, he's a guy who any given game, he could go five for seven from three. I mean, in a heartbeat, he could do that. So he's a weapon. You've got to be conscious of him um he's a strong i mean six eight and he plays on the wing for them but he's a strong kid too so um 
he's a load to guard. I'm, I, I will tell you this. I am very, very happy that Michigan State has Malik Call back in the lineup because if MSU didn't have Malik, they really wouldn't have a particularly good physical matchup for Jet Howard. You know, Pierre Brooks has the necessary size and strength, but maybe not the foot speed you want. Every other option may be a little bit smaller than you want. Malik Hall can actually match him physically, but that that creates a problem for most opponents trying to deal with him. What I don't understand is his father was, obviously they're different players. His dad was a little bigger than him, certainly played a different position, but Jawan Howard, whatever one wants to say about him, was a very good rebounder and a very, very good defensive player. And his son is neither of those things. And I really have a hard time understanding how it could be as bad as it is with (laughs) that guy as your dad and your coach. I really don't get it. Like, I would think just by virtue of growing up in that house, (laughs) he would have he would have had better habits drilled into him. I I don't have a good answer for it. It's weird to me. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt his NBA prospects. He's already showing up at some first round mocks and I I don't know for sure what they're going to do, but um, after this season, but I would not be surprised if he left because I think he's got a reasonably good chance of being a first rounder. And especially for a kid like him, I think the longer he stays around, in college, the more likely his game is to get nitpicked. Might make mm-hmm. sense to go, but um, man, he's going to have to figure it out defensively at some point. And and the thing is, he's not like a world-beating athlete, but he's not horrible athletically. I, I don't understand why he's not better, but he is one of the worst wing defenders you will see this year. He's awful. I mean, hard, hard if he believe. has if he has segments in this game where he's got to guard Jaden Akins or Tyson Walker, even worse, he's, he's going to get scorched because <laughs> he just can't, he can't guard guys like that. But offensively, he's a problem. All right, next would be Terrence Williams, 6'6", junior. He's uh, now the starting four-man, second on the team in rebounding and probably the best defender, <laughs> but he's not been shooting great. Averaging a little under eight points a game at 7.6. He's shooting 38, 32, and 70. The parts of the game I saw tonight, which was admittedly was not a whole lot, he looked pretty good. He had a couple, I think he had like a three or a couple threes or something, and so he looked pretty good to me. He had a he had a good game. He hit a three tonight. Um the, the reason I say it's a downtick from last year, last year he actually shot 38% from three. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I think they thought as a sophomore, and I think they thought, okay, he's rounding into being a real stretch four option. And I, he seems to be, from what I observe, and this is just an anecdotal impression, but he seems to be something of a whipping boy for certain segments of the Michigan fan base. And I think it's, unfortunately for him, I think it's because he actually is pretty much what he was purported to be coming out of high school, which is a guy who can do a lot of things reasonably. Okay. But he's not going to be great at anything and he's not great at anything. He's okay. You know, um, he's the best option they've got at the moment for that position. And they need him because this is a bad rebounding team, as I said, and they, they desperately need anybody 
besides Dickinson who can rebound and he at least gives them that. Um, but you know, again, the shooting's been a little bit off this year. Um, he's, he's a decent defender, which on a bad defensive team makes you look really good. Um, but he's just, he doesn't stand out in any one area. He, he is kind of a glue guy. That's, that's what you're going to get out of him most of the time. Well, that's it for, oh wait, it's not it for stars. There's one left. (laughs) So seven foot one junior, everyone's favorite here at Michigan state, Hunter Dickinson, or probably actually in the, uh, big 10 actually. So, uh, you know, I, we've talked about him even when he's not, we're not playing. Um, he's averaging 18.7 points a game, 8.3 rebounds a game, shooting 57, 39 and 73. He's not, uh, he's not really Luca Garza type, which is, I think what they're hoping to get more out of him. Like, you know, national play of the year sort of player. And I don't know if I just watching him play it, he doesn't strike me as someone who just, the one thing about Luca Garza, that guy left everything on the court every time he played. Like, I mean, Bingo. every ounce of his, and I don't feel like Dickinson does that. No, he doesn't. And, and that's a big part of the problem. You know, and it's funny. They're, they're both DMV guys. They're do- both, um, Washington DC Catholic league guys. And so it's a net and both centers, both horrendous defensive players. Um, there's, it's a natural comparison to make. I think for Michigan to be really good, they needed Hunter Dickinson to take that junior year leap that Garza did. If you remember, I'm not even talking about his senior year mm-hmm. where he had yeah. all the national player of the year hype, but the year before that, the, the year that got wiped out by COVID um, in the tournament, he went from being a good player his first two years at Iowa to a dominant player. And I mean, he was such a big deal that it was a major story when Xavier Tillman bottled him up late in the game. MSU beat Iowa at Breslin in a very competitive game and X really bottled him up, but that was a big deal because Garza was having a huge year and you're right about, you know, they, they have the same deficiency, which is they both move as if they're in quicksand. So neither one of them could ever guard anybody, but man, Luca Garza played hard. He tried all the time. And that motor made him just a nightmare to deal with on offense because, and he was skilled and Dickinson is skilled too. Dickinson you know, after last year, he kind of expanded his three point game. He's gone backward a little bit with that. He hasn't taken very many. The percentage is okay, but I think he's only attempted 13 on the year. So it's essentially won a game. Um, but you know, similarities to Garza can hit jumper. You know, and, and Dickinson's always been able to do that too. He can hit mid range shots, face you up and score, but what made Garza stand out and what I think elevated him to a national player of the year status is that motor. He just never quit. And so as an offensive rebounder, he was incredible. You you had to constantly be trying to put a body on him. And even if you did, it might not be enough. Dickinson never challenges you like that. Never. So look, his production is fine. It's good. You know, you, you could never really say otherwise, but he's not a great college player right now. And that's what I think Michigan needed him to be. You know, now we could, we could spend a long time, much, much longer than this dip deserves talking about 
the reasons behind that. I think there are some things that if you're paying attention at all are pretty obvious to me. Um, I think first and foremost, I don't even know how much he loves basketball. And I especially don't know how much he loves playing college basketball right now. I, you know, without trying to psychoanalyze him, <laughs> I, I do wonder because a lot of times this year, I've looked at him and he has just looked completely disinterested to me. I mean, Michigan fans will say that. Yeah. So it's not just me, you know, with an anti university of Michigan bias coming at it. I think Michigan fans will, will admit to that. And I think that's got something to do with it too. You know, Luca Garza never looked anything less than supremely motivated. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah, no question. I think that's the deal. Look, Hunter Dickinson, obviously because of his size, and his skills can do a lot of damage, but he also has some real deficiencies, primarily on the defensive end. He is a liability. The question coming into any game when you are an opponent of Michigan is, can you take sufficient advantage of his liabilities? Because they are there, they are manifest, and you will have opportunities if you are looking for them to exploit it. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing with Dickinson, I mean, the, the obvious thing, of course, is he's been on a lot of podcasts. He's his attitude or his persona. Um, and I don't know if right, the right word to capture it, really. His character, maybe. Uh, That's is a good one, because I think it's forced. Yeah, it 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 seems like he wants to be the villain. Uh, he's kind of goes out of well, his way. To, yeah, and he said it. This and year. It, yeah. it's just, it's very strange. I, and I would say too, with a, with a team that doesn't have any seniors, well, I guess as a grad transfer, but it doesn't have any seniors. They have, you, when you look for leadership, I mean, he's, he would be your natural leader for the team to sort of steady the ship and sort of be the, you know, the, the voice of reason. And he's anything but, and I, I think, you know, they're going to win games and, and such, but I think it's going to, it's going to be a, a problem for them uh, because, I don't know. I mean, to your point, I don't know if he's not interested in playing basketball, but he's certainly not 100% focused on his team, and that seems to be pretty yep. pretty apparent to me. And I it's just kind of – it'd be frustrating if I was on the team. You have a guy who's just kind of going off about stuff. What I, really, what I found most interesting about it, though, is that I would assume if anyone did that on Michigan State, it would last like a day, right? And then it's that part is over. At least, you know – what happens behind closed doors happens behind closed doors, and we don't know about it. Maybe we hear about it, sort of. But what he does publicly, I mean, it just wouldn't be tolerated at, at, at almost any school. It's really kind of bizarre to me that you have a guy who's on podcasts or whatever and talking, but you know, calling Wisconsin Badgers scumbags or whatever. I mean, just kind of crazy stuff. Like, why would you allow that to happen? Uh, I just, I don't get it. You can, I mean, there's a number of different ways to come at this. Um, one thing is you'd say, well, Hunter Dickinson is making NIL money for that podcast. It's a barstool affiliated with podcast, which is just on point branding that you would have. <laughs> if, if, if anybody's had the misfortune of watching this thing, I was really unaware of it until recently, until a few weeks ago when he popped off about Michigan state and the safety school nonsense. Yeah. Um, the production values are, uh, I mean, it's like a geo city site in 1999. It's <laughs> bad, bad news. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. really rough, but he is 
presumably making money by doing this. So I suppose if Michigan really wanted to defend this, you could say, well, look, our athletes have these opportunities to make money and we don't want to stand in their way. And that wouldn't wash for me, but that's an argument. The, the thing is, it's an, it's an indictment as much as anything else. It's an indictment of the media that covers the University of Michigan's athletic programs in that, to my knowledge, Hunter Dickinson hasn't been asked about this. Jawan Howard hasn't been asked about this. This has been news now for several weeks running. The kid can't shut his mouth. Yeah. And he's doing this in a way that, that now you're having play. I mean, Michigan State's play. You're 100% right about what would happen in Michigan State's program if anybody was that stupid. Um, Sam Decker from X of Wisconsin, after the scumbag comments I saw the other day, maybe it was even today or yesterday, made a comment about how Bo Ryan would have acted so fast their heads would have spun if he'd ever caught them doing something like that. You're right. It's true of most programs. Most programs would would absolutely lower the boom if they had a kid doing the things that he does. But th- this is the thing that I think is ultimately true about him. And I expect that this is what we're going to see on Saturday. Hunter Dickinson claims that a part of this is he wants opposing fans to be angry at him. Mm-hmm. There are certain guys who thrive under that circumstance. Not a lot of them, I'll note, but there are certain guys. Scott Skiles, to me, in Michigan State history, was the ultimate example of this. His senior year, because of the the negative publicity he got and the fact that he was a slow six-foot-one white point guard made him a target for every fan base around the Big Ten. People hated him. I mean, they were out for blood in every arena he played in. But that guy truly used that as fuel. It made him better. You know, Antoine Gilbert pops off in the press before the game at Chrysler. Skiles comes out famously at, at center court for the tip, turns to him and says, you better lose 20 pounds before you try to guard me, fat boy, and then torches him. <laughs> There are guys like that, much as I dislike Michael Jordan and, and think he's a punk and you know, on and I go on for days about him. But one thing I'll give him is Michael Jordan um, was a guy who thrived, not that he got booed as much as he should have, but maybe a better example would be the bad boys. Bill the Lambeer. Pistons thrived on that. Isaiah Thomas thrived on that. Bill Lambeer used it as his life's blood. <laughs> There are not many guys who can do that. And I have not seen any evidence that Hunter Dickinson is the exception of the rule and is one of those guys that truly will use a crowd's hatred as fuel to inspire them to even greater play than they would normally be capable of producing. I see no evidence of that to date. And we're going to find out on Saturday because even though it's a, a game in the afternoon, I expect that to be for a variety of reasons. And he's one of the reasons, not the only one. Um, I think that's going to be as hostile a building as he's ever been in in his life. And I think it's going to be one of the most hostile buildings we've seen for a Michigan-Michigan State game in a long time. I'm going to be 
surprised if it's not the most live that building's been since the 2012-13 season. Uh, if you remember that game, Michigan had Michigan and Indiana had all the hype that year. They're both both programs are back. All that nonsense. And Michigan State was just being a typically great Michigan State team, kind of flying under the radar, got a pumped-up Michigan team at Breslin and ripped their hearts out, <laughs> just wrecked them. And I don't know that I've ever been in a building that was as live as that one was that day for a Michigan-Michigan State game. It was crazy how intense it was. I think this one's got a chance to be more intense. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I would and I would just say when it comes to Hunter Dickinson last thing, I I feel like, you know, especially in the social media era, which is what we're in, right? And Twitter and driving clicks and you know, I think people will again get these personas as the villains and and his actions, what he says, everything he done does seems to be directed towards increasing visibility. It's sort of like the um all publicity is good publicity. And I don't yeah. know if that's entirely the case because what happens oftentimes to these folks is they, they'll burn themselves out. They'll, because you can only kind of sort of clown around so much and people just get tired of you. And so I think that's, that'll ultimately be his risk at some point. But I, I think that's what drives a lot of his behavior. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. But I also think besides the risk of burnout on that, you have to back it up. Oh, yeah, sure. You know? Absolutely. Christian Leitner, one of the biggest polls in the history of the sport. But Christian Leitner backed it up over and over and over. You know, Dukes had a lot of guys like that. Grayson Allen, as much as he was a villain, Grayson Allen backed it up more often than not on the floor, you know? Yeah. Um, Draymond Green. <laughs> Draymond Green backs it up. He's got the rings to prove it. You know, I Hunter Dickinson has never struck me as a guy who's been – really capable of doing that so you know he's a productive player but as we just got done talking about there was a pretty clear challenge i think in front of that guy coming into this year can you be a guy who goes for like 25 and 12 every night which is what somebody like garza did a couple years ago can you be that kind of player and he hasn't been he hasn't been close so i I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a long afternoon for Hunter Dickinson, but we'll see. Yeah, I hope that's the case. All right, well let's move on to the reserves uh, briefly. So first is Joey Baker, 6-7 grad transfer from Duke, averaging 4.9 points a game on 41, 51 and 68 shooting. Uh he definitely looked good tonight. He had a, num- a number of uh, good plays and again, just a portion that I was watching. So uh, yeah, he was like 3 for 5 from 3. Yeah, so he looked he looked pretty good from that end. Uh, look, here, here's the deal with Joey Baker. He's He's been a good addition in the sense that he's definitely shooting the best he's ever shot. You know, he came into Duke with a reputation as a big-time shooter. And he was a good shooter there, but he was never a great one. Um, he's been really, really good for Michigan thus far. Uh, but that's all he gives you. So if he's not producing from three, you're not getting anything out of him because he doesn't do anything else. So he truly is a designated shooter. And you look at that point average, he's not taking a ton of them. He's not getting a lot of shots up. Right. You know, but I do think if you're Michigan State, when Joey Baker's on the floor, 
that's a guy you got to guard. You can't let him get open looks because he's certainly proven capable of burying them this season. Uh, next is Terrace Reed, the backup for Dickinson, 6'10 freshman. Looked okay at times today, too. He averaged five. Po- he's averaging five points a game at 56% from the floor, grabbing two and a half rebounds a game. Uh, but can a free throw, much like Walker, uh, Derek Walker, yes, last game with Nebraska. Yeah, but he's even worse because Derek Walker had a bad night. Derek Walker, I think, is came into that game shooting in the 50s. Yeah. And he had just a really awful night, but he's not that bad. Terrace Reed is bad. 26%. He's worse than me, Rod. Year. I, I yeah. said 40%. Right, you were 40, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, look, he's a kid I do think has potential. Michigan State recruited him. He was a guy they, they recruited, and when they didn't get him, uh, that's when they turned to Jackson Kohler. That's how that unfolded. Um, I do think Reed has potential. He's got a big 10 size body right now. So strength is not an issue. If, if anything, I think he probably has got to work a little bit on just toning up, but, um, and he's reasonably skilled in the post. Um, you know, what is he? 56%, I think 57% yeah. from the floor. Yeah. So, you know, he can finish. Okay. And, and as far as a, a backup in the Big Ten goes, you could do a lot worse, even though he's a freshman. I think he gives you someone who at least is bringing size to the table behind Dickinson and can occasionally go out and get you a bucket or two. Uh, defensively, he too struggles because he's not particularly mobile. Um, but he does have some wingspan. He can give you an occasional bit of rim protection. Um Again, long-term, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty solid player. For this year, he's given them what they need, which is a guy you can you can use for 10, 12 minutes a night and get reasonable production out of. Uh, next will be Will Shutter, a 6'8", 240-pound redshirt freshman, uh, averaging two points a game on 40, 17, and 75 shooting. He didn't even play against Penn State, though, so... Hard to know how yeah, but he play. had been playing more recently, which was weird. I, the only thing I can figure is they must have felt because Penn State is such an undersized team right. that it didn't make sense to play him. Uh, but he has been playing more, and, and and against the Michigan State, I wouldn't be surprised to see him see the floor. You know, he came in with a rep as a stretch four guy, and the three-point shooting has eluded him to date this year, but – uh, they do like him as kind of a, a hardworking guy, kind of a glue guy type. Uh, he just hasn't dialed in the jumper yet. Uh, next is Jawan Howard's older son, Jace Howard, 6'6", junior, averaging one and a half points a game on 54, 67, and 50 shooting. Uh, obviously, he's not somebody who's getting high volumes <laughs> of right. shots and he's only averaging one and a half points a game. Yeah, I, you know, he's a guy, we talked about them and I would stand by this. It's an immature team, um, but he's a guy his third year in the program. And he struck me as kind of a level headed kid. Um, I think that he's probably the best they've got in terms of injecting a little bit of that. Uh, he's also one of their better defensive players, which again, makes it an even bigger mystery to me. Why his more talented brother can't guard anybody. Um, <laughs> Cause he can, he's okay. Maybe that's why uh, Jet's so good, because he had to try and get around Jace and score Maybe. on him. Uh, finally, uh, Isaiah Barnes, 6'7", redshirt freshman, uh, averaging 1.4 points a game on 40, 33, and 80 shooting in limited volume in minutes. 
Yeah, he he along with Shutter has started to play a little bit more of late. I think they're trying to uh, lengthen their rotation a little bit. Only played three minutes tonight. Very athletic kid and good size on the wing at six seven. Just hasn't really put it all together yet. And again, as, as the case with a lot of these guys, it's not even so much that he lacks physical tools to be able to defend. It's that he just doesn't have any idea. He gets lost. So, uh, you know, you look at his body and his physical tools and you think, oh, that's a guy, you know, who could maybe be a very good defensive player for you, you know, versatile, but it, it has not emerged as of yet. Well, and this is not surprising, right? You have freshmen, you have people who are, well, you have all underclassmen for the most part in your team. And if you don't have the veterans running the show and kind of putting people, making right. sure people in the right places, you can have a very bad defensive effort, even when people maybe are good defenders, maybe individually, you know, as a team defense, maybe, maybe lacking. And so, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if that's part of the problem with Michigan too, that you have a guy who can't move in Dickinson surrounded by yes. people who are inexperienced and, you know, maybe have lack of focus in some ways. Well, I think it's a hundred, I think it's a hundred percent the case. Absolutely. You have a void and, and that's a problem. I mean, you know, to some extent, that's what we saw at Michigan state the last couple of years is you didn't have that group of players who had the right. And that's not to bag on those kids. I think I like Gabe Brown. I like Marcus Bingham, but those guys were not really leader material in the way that you need someone to be. And when you don't have that, and again, it doesn't always have to be a Mateen Cleaves or Travis Walton. It could be a Cassius Winston. It could be a Xavier Tillman that are a little quieter, but they're going to keep everybody in line and they're going to hold the bar high in terms of what they expect out of their teammates. And they're going to do the right thing themselves, you know, and if you don't have that, it can be tough. All right. Well, we'll be step away for just a moment and we'll be right back with the keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. I feel like the keys of the game are a bit of riddle. The first one is 15 to 18 feet. <laughs> yeah, and you're obviously I mean, referring to look, jumpers. <laughs> it's really simple. If, and in the last two games, I've seen these wins, Maryland. And, uh, and Penn State, I did not feel that those teams took advantage of the big gaping hole opportunity that Michigan gives you, which is pick and roll defense, Hunter Dickinson can't get out and guard you. 
I'm not sure what was going on with Maryland. They just didn't even seem interested in attacking it. Penn State got it a lot. They got that switch a lot. But as I mentioned, Pickett is not a terrible jump shooter statistically, but he must not have much confidence in that mid-range game because he had ample opportunity to take shots against Dickinson when he would get those switches. And instead, he would dribble, 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 try to blow past him. And the other thing is, you know, he's a very good player around the rim, as you see when you watch him, but he's not the kind of straight line blow by guy that a Tyson Walker is, or he doesn't have the same knack for it that AJ Hogard has. He's kind of a slowly work his way into the spot. He wants to be and back you down kind of player around the rim. So consequently, Michigan was not made to pay as much as I think they should have been by what Penn state did. Michigan state, has to exploit that. It will be there all afternoon long. I guarantee it. So Tyson Walker in pick and roll has to be putting that guy in a torture chamber. He has to. A.J. Hogard, we've seen him hit the mid-range shot. He's got to be able to do that. Jay Nakins may get his chances. He's got to be willing to do it. Um, Maybe even Trey Holloman some. Michigan State's got guys who are capable of hitting that shot. They have to be willing to take it and they have to make it do that. And it opens up so much else. Sure. And I thought like tonight watching the Penn state and Jalen Pickett attack. I mean, he had the three point shot anytime he wanted it with Dickinson yep. and, and he turned him down. He was two for two for the game. It was kind of weird. I, I guess. Yeah. I and he's, and, and all the season he's a, he's a good shooter yeah, in terms of surprised. his efficiency. The problem is if you notice his volume isn't super high. So he, for whatever reason, he's hesitant to pull the trigger. Michigan yeah. State should not be. There's no reason. And, and in fact, I did see Penn State as the game went on. They tried to adjust to that by at times moving Pickett off the ball and letting other guys run it. But the problem with that for them is he's always their best creator. So you yeah, don't right. really want to take him off the ball. Michigan State doesn't have these conundrums. You know, their guys are the right guys for yeah. this. They've just got to be willing to take the shot. And they and obviously they got to make them. If they go out and Tyson Walker goes two for nine from three, well, that's going to be a problem. You know, you got to make the shots. You look at Michigan State it, at Chrysler. As you said, he were yelling at, at Walker to shoot. He had that all day long, and for that and matter, take so it. did so did Hogard. And Hogard was knew Hogard knew he shouldn't take it because he couldn't make him last year. Hogard didn't play a lot in that game. Hogard was banged up, and that was a that was another thing that hurt oh, that's right. MSU. Yeah. But it's a different it's a different package this year, and and the difference I think starts with Tyson Walker's aggressiveness and confidence. And you got to feel better about that over after watching the last few games. Well, this whole season, he's just a different player for sure. So I I don't think we'll see a rerun of what happened at Chrysler. Right. Well, if nothing else, we're just missing those shots and maybe getting some rebounds. So number two, guarding the arc. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how Michigan State approaches this. But if it were me, I would largely employ the defense that they've used to some level of success against teams with very, very big post players in the past. And that means largely, not exclusively, but largely letting Dickinson go Mm one-on-one. 
I figure Dickinson's going to get his points. The key is Michigan's not a great three-pointing shoot, three-point shooting team, but they're good enough that if you allow Dickinson the opportunity to pass out of doubles and find wide open shooters, you could turn them into a good shooting team. Right. So to me, I would be emphasizing locking those guys down on the perimeter, letting Dickinson go one-on-one, you know, now look, there's some risks inherent in this one big one is what happens if Marty picks up a couple quick fouls, right? Exactly. I was thinking, yeah, you know, could happen, but I, I, I think that, look, that's a risk in any game and, and it's going to be a risk constantly this big 10 season, because you've got nothing but capable big men. What you have to hope for is that you get an officiating crew, much like the one MSU had yesterday um, where they let them play, you know, they let the big guys go at it um, or hope that Dickinson make some mistakes and gets a couple cheap fouls, which is entirely possible because again, the atmosphere is going to be one that I think, I think a lot of things potentially could conspire to get him doing some stupid things. I think that's yeah. very possible. Um, but I, again, to me, the key is you don't turn Michigan into a good three point shooting team, right? If you do that, you keep them down in that area of the game. Uh, let Hunter Dickinson do what he does. Right. And if you keep him outside, you know, and you don't give him anything open, like wide open, He's not, he's not going to dribble past you very often. So, I mean, he may slowly try and back you down. I do think there's room for on occasion. And I do think what Michigan state will do is on occasion, they might send somebody like, for example, if you've got whoever's guarding McDaniel, you could send sure either on a dig or, or just on a quick double, you could get away with that and, and dare them to, you know, but it matters who's coming if they're going to do that what you don't want to do is you don't want to have the guy you don't want malik call doing it and leaving leaving jet howard wide open or you don't want jay nakins doing it and leaving uh kobe buffkin open right you know right. there's you have to be selective and i think michigan state will do some of that just to mix it up and keep him off balance but for the most part i think the key is you lock in on that arc yep that's sort of like similar to playing at Purdue in the past, right? Same, Absolutely. Same strategy. Absolutely. So number three key, transition. Transition game has been looking a little better the last few games and uh, is now now we've got more bodies back. And so, you know, can you, you know, how, how much can you use against a, a poor defensive team and how much can you get out of that is, uh, you know, obviously the more you, it's what you hope for. I'm not expecting a track meet by any means, but. I do think we're talking about a young team, an immature team. I would think, and Michigan State, conversely, maybe being a little more insistent and consistent with the way that they're looking to push, I would like to think they're going to have some opportunities here to get into transition and and make some things happen. What they probably won't have are any of those, you know, as Izzo calls them, those pick sixes for touchdowns. Because Michigan has done, as we talked about, a very good job of taking care of the ball. So you wouldn't expect that Michigan State's going to have a lot of steals. But if they do, that could be another way they get into it. I'm just not counting on that. Yeah, I think it's going to be the more conventional 
defensive rebound and go off a made basket and go. It's going to be that type of thing. Uh, speaking of glass and rebounding, rebounding. <laughs> so Michigan's not a good rebounding team on either end of the floor. And, you know, Michigan State has much been, been much better defensively, showed a little bit of signs of life against Nebraska offensively. Can they extend that on and, and punish right. Michigan on the glass? I mean, that's, I guess, what probably what, that's not even just even for this game. That's sort of going forward. So this is another way of building some good habits for later. Is is Nebraska a blip on the screen in terms of offensive rebounding, or is it a sign that as Malik Call rounds into shape, as maybe Jackson Kohler's giving you a little bit more, you know, those types of things are happening. Jaden Akins is, is feeling better. Um, do we see an uptick? on the offensive glass. Uh, that would be a welcome sign. It doesn't even have to be 14 offensive rebounds as it was against Nebraska. Just better than what we've seen, getting some real second chance opportunities. At the other end, I would be very surprised to see Michigan do much because they just, I mean, they're sub 300 now in <laughs> offensive rebounding rate. I mean, it's they're really not trying to do anything. Um, and Michigan State's been pretty good on the defensive glass. So if Michigan does make hay as an offensive rebounding group, that's a problem. And the number five key, the one maybe it's not at all surprising, and especially in, I feel like this year after what happened at the with the football team in the tunnel, with all the shenanigans from Hunter Dickinson on social media, there's going to be a whole lot of emotion. Like you said earlier, this is going to be a, a very intense game. It's the game my wife looks forward to the least because we happen to have our seats near where the, the what is the maze craze or whatever those guys are called who come and the students sit up in the back. So they're only about four sections away from us. So we hear all their chanting and cheering and all their stuff they're saying. So it drives her crazy. All, uh, all 15 of them? They, well, I'd say they bring yeah. about, you know, 60. I mean, <laughs> there's a yeah. good contingent. They're, Six, they're loud. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think this is important because it's it's easy sometimes to let the thing become bigger than it needs to be you know and this is something that even tom Izzo talked about this he said early in his career everything he had so much emotion poured into beating michigan and he had to learn not that it ever is anything but mattering a great deal but he had to learn how to properly channel it. And I think for the most part over the years, Michigan state teams have done a pretty good job of managing emotion in this game. I do think this one's going to be a little different. And I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday night, Hunter Dickinson has, you know, whatever, another 50 some hours to run his mouth. <laughs> Who the hell knows what other stupid he's going to say. You know, I almost kind of expect it. But I think that from Michigan State's point of view, what matters is using that energy in the building as fuel for yourself and not getting caught up in anything else. You know, that's what really matters. You've got to go out and you got to play the game calmly, you know, and sometimes that can be hard to do in a rivalry game. But I, I, I like Michigan State's chances to do this successfully for a couple reasons. One is this is a mature team, much right, more mature than right. Michigan is. You know, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, 
A.J. Hogard, even guys like Tyson and Jaden, they, they've all been through it now. Michigan State has very few guys that are seeing this for the first time. Conversely, Michigan's got a lot of guys that are going to be in this for the first time and have no clue what's coming. So I think this is really important, you know, but again, I have, I have a reasonable amount of faith that Michigan state will navigate it well, because historically they've done a pretty good job of it. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's definitely the kind of game you could see huge runs happening in, right? I mean, you can just see Michigan and especially someone like Hunter Dickinson getting frustrated and getting a and having trouble with a couple turn the ball over or taking some bad shots or something. The the thing you worry about is, of course, is that you can also, to your point, that you get overwhelmed with emotion and you start going for that offensive rebound that you don't have a chance for. Now, Mati picks up a second foul six minutes into the first half. You totally start playing outside of yourself. You right. Do, yeah. You try to do too much because you're allowing emotion to overtake, you know, discretion being the better part of valor, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, that's what you you need to avoid. I, look, I do think in regard to Dickinson, I also want to get this out there. We'll see if I'm right. Um, well, I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm just going to say I think there's a reasonably high non-zero probability, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Let's say it's not zero and it's not one or two percent. <laughs> chance that there is an incident in this game. And, and I'm saying that because you've got a team that's immature whose best player has, you know, proven himself to not be a particularly good decision maker. And he's going to be facing, you know, he could talk as much as he wants, he will never have been in a building like this. I mean, let's keep in mind his freshman year, there wasn't a crowd, right? COVID year. Yeah. Okay. Last year he got his ass kicked and <laughs> yeah. he didn't look, he, he did some things product productivity wise, but he, I remember him being a very frustrated player. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that crowd came close to what I'm expecting on Saturday. You know, uh, it's not just about him running his mouth. It's not just about Jawan Howard. It's that football game. I'm telling you, I just, I, I have a niece who is a senior at Michigan and, um, I was telling her, her mother, my sister, uh, she has football season tickets. I don't think she has basketball season tickets. And I don't know that she's ever been to a game at Breslin, but I actually checked in and I said, you know, tell her, if she had any thought of coming down for that one, don't. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not even laughing about that. I really do. And, and, and look, you don't, obviously the last thing in the world anybody wants is for anyone affiliated with Michigan state to get into anything. Right. And I'm talking yeah. about the crowd. I'm not talking about the players. I don't worry about the players, but I also can't blame people for feeling what they feel after what went on after that football game. And that is going to bleed into what that building is like. I'm convinced of it. Um, I think, I think the rivalry has gotten to a very ugly point and it's not just going to be limited to football that will bleed into this basketball game. Now I think that Michigan state, I've got to believe they're going to do everything they can 
to keep a lid on it within reason, um, you know, with security and what have you. But I'm telling you, if it was another program, if we were talking about Wisconsin, we were talking about Ohio State, I wouldn't have any concerns. But in Michigan, you have a kid in Dickinson who's troubled, in my view, and you could dice that up any way you like. Mm-hmm. But he's not right in the head. And you got a coach who's had major league problems. Now, are you telling me that there's no chance that a Michigan State fan is going to say something? The right thing, the wrong thing, somewhere in between at the wrong moment that could lead a guy who's already had a major problems controlling his temper to do something stupid? He did it as a player at Breslin. So why would I think there's no chance? You know, the, the, the first three times he's been to Breslin, um, it's been largely without incident. And I think that uh, there was the stupid technical foul. He got Cassius the senior year for running out onto the floor that (laughs) negated a Cassius three, but, um, you know, and they didn't have fans the second time. And then last year he got his ass whipped. So, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen a bad moment yet. And I don't think there's any real animus between he and Izzo. I don't think that exists, but this is just a different vibe, man. Like we got used to the beeline era where it got hot a couple of times because the teams, the programs were yeah, both right. so good. Right. Right. But that's different than this. This, this is getting back to the raw kind of hate that, can lead to some bad things. So I hope that nothing happens. I'm not much as I dislike their program. I'm not rooting for Juwan Howard to do something that ends his career or for Hunter Dickinson to do something that gets him suspended, but I don't rule it out because I think they're going to be under immense pressure. And I don't think either one of them is likely to be adequately prepared for what that's going to be like. That's my read. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't, I, I, I'm pretty convinced I'm right about that. Well, I think the one thing I'm fairly confident about is that for Jawan Howard, at least if not this season, the next season, something will happen where he's going to get something bad's going to happen to him from uh, an anger. I mean, issue, he just hasn't addressed it and, and he's shown it multiple times. It's just a matter of time before something happens uh, that's going to really cause a problem. I mean, I don't know what I, I'd hate for it to be, you know, cause multiple suspensions, but players and things like that. You wouldn't want that. You see it. You see this coming with people, you know, I not to toot my own horn because I think it was really screamingly obvious to anyone paying attention. I called Dan Dakich's career ending a few years ago because I thought it was obvious. You could see it coming. Dockage did not have the ability to control himself. And he was eventually going to say something, do something that was going to cost him his livelihood. And sure enough, that's what's happened. You know, Um, I made a comment about Danny Hurley on the Spartan mag board about a week (laughs) ago. Yeah. Um, They were playing, they were playing Villanova and they ended up winning the game. But Danny Hurley got upset at a call in the first half, went ballistic, and could not calm himself down. And I said, I think UConn's got great personnel, and I do believe that, but I'm not sure Danny Hurley's up 
to the job of getting them over the hump and a long run in March and maybe even to a final form beyond that. And I say that because it's been obvious to me. I go back to the game that they played against Michigan State last year in the Bahamas, where in a tight game down the stretch at winning time, he completely lost his mind, got teed up, but worse than the tee or just as bad as the tee, couldn't get past it to focus and actually coach his team. He missed the entire huddle screaming at the officials. Tom, you know, and, and people want to compare. There was, I got a little bit, not much, a little bit of pushback on that. And somebody said, well, you know, Izzo, Izzo gets angry. I said, yeah, but there's a huge difference. I've, I've never seen Tom Izzo let his anger take him out of what he has to do as a coach. I've never seen it. I've seen it with Danny Hurley. And I, and <laughs> sure enough, he got teed up in their loss at Xavier at a really inopportune moment. And it tilted the outcome of that game. You're going to see it again with him. He's not done doing stupid sh- unable to control because he's unable to control his temper. And I think you're right about Jawan Howard. I, there is, this is not a one-time incident. It's been several occasions, including moments this year, by the way, where he's been yeah. right on the verge of, of losing it, you know, um, Something's going to happen, whether it's this weekend or some other point, something's going to happen because in this game, you constantly have these moments, these pressure cookers, and eventually he's just going to blow his stack again and do something stupid and it might cost him his career. Yeah, you certainly don't hope for that for anybody, um, but just that they get help and take care of themselves. But uh, yeah, I think it's inevitable at, the, at some point it's going to happen. And may, unless he exits college of basketball, heads to the NBA before, so before something happens to I so. honestly think for a guy like him, I was just thinking about it as we're talking, you know, the NBA, which is mentioned frequently as a possibility for him probably makes more sense because guys don't tend coaches, at least don't tend to lose their minds the way they do in the college game, in part because you're playing 82 games plus the playoffs. If you're fortunate, you know, it can be, if you have a long enough run, it could be a hundred game season, right? Nobody yeah. can stay that hot for a hundred games. <laughs> and, and it's just the nature of it is very different. Like you don't, you just don't see it the way you do in college. And maybe it's, maybe it would be a better fit for him. I don't know. Well, that's for the future to decide. And right now we have Michigan coming in. Uh, you know, I, looking forward to the game. Uh, I, I always enjoy these games. It, there is that, I don't know what, how you describe it, but the, certainly electricity, right? You actually feel it in the air, and it's going to be one of those games for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, which always makes it great, uh, but also a lot of anxiety. So I would be very happy with the 20, 30-point victory and just like blow them up like that one game where they beat them by like 50 points. Um with the Mateen Cleaves back in was like 2000. Yeah, that was the all-timer, yeah. like likely to never be repeated. So for what it's worth, Ken Palm has MSU as a three-point favorite. Yeah. And, and this is and this game too is important in the standings, right? Michigan State is two and one. Michigan is three and zero. Oh. You can argue all you want about who's Michigan's played, but you know Michigan State lost at home to Northwestern. There's no excuse for that. It happened. Um, and, you know, you can't afford to lose too many of these games at home. you got to protect home court and then steal some of the road to win the Big Ten. And and with with the games that MSU has coming up after this, you really want to bank. Absolutely. This one, you know, it's important. Yep. 
Well, unless you have anything else, I think we'll head on out of here. I think we've, I think said, we've it said it all. I uh, just find any of our listeners who are going to be there, you know, I obviously you don't want anybody to do anything stupid, puts them in harm's way, but everything short of that, <laughs> everything short of that, let them hear it. I would say that I was surprised. So during that free throw competition, you know, I sat down under the basket. I was surprised at how much, um, I never sit down there. Right. And so I was surprised at how many, uh, how much, much the fans were ragging on the on Derek Walker because he's having a, he was struggling that first half and yelling at him and he kind of looked down and stuff and I I guess I didn't realize that it had really that really happened and so that players could even hear that sort oh, of thing yeah. but yeah they can they could definitely hear that stuff so it was kind of uh, it was eye opening for me anyway and I'm sure there'll be a ton of that crowd it 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 needs to be like that 2013 game or other games over the years but that's the one that always stands out in my mind is kind of the bellwether. Um, just from the opening tip, just that noise, just taking Michigan out of it and being something that Michigan state can use as energy as fuel. Well, the is zone will be back, which will be helpful. And, uh, yep. of course the, uh, the alumni is zone is just as good as the is zone. I think personally, <laughs> if not better, because they just have the one chance. Uh, so the is zone will be back, uh, and we'll be back after the game to go over, hopefully Michigan state victory. Until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.